This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Hello, Raw Beauty crew. I have an incredibly special guest today joining me in the studio. Ashley Lemieux is here, and I am thrilled to share this incredible woman's impactful work with everybody and her story. I have been following Ashley for years now, and uh, it's so incredible to have her on the show. I'm sure many of you are following her already, but if you're not, make sure that you click the link down in the show notes and go check out the beautiful work that she is doing. Ashley, happy Monday. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here today. You're such an incredible inspiration to so many, and you also just launched your own podcast. Yes, so we just hit four weeks of it, and it's called Healing Her. And I was so excited to release it, but you know, also nervous anytime you release something new because you hope that you're following what you think people are needing right now. But what I have found over the course of the last four weeks is this truly is what women are needing. I mean, just like your podcast where we're able to talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about so that we can feel less alone and find tools specifically for healing her for our grief because we grieve in ways that we don't even know that we're grieving. I'm just really excited for the Healing Her podcast community. I mean, this podcast is holding space for conversations that truly are the most difficult conversations that you could have. And what I'm referring to are conversations about loss. And in particular, you have a lot of mamas on there sharing stories of losing their children or a child. And I was listening to one of the episodes and scrolling through as well and listening to some of the clips. And what came to mind for me is this truly is my worst nightmare. And you are holding space for those conversations. And so I just want to acknowledge that the strength that that requires, I think some people don't maybe realize that while these conversations are so incredibly healing and you do find so much purpose in them, it's also, it is a weight to carry diving into it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. I've had to get really good at protecting my own peace. And I actually, I follow a hospital chaplain on Instagram, and he calls himself a grief catcher. And I thought that was the most beautiful way of describing how we can show up for each other. And then specifically the work that I do, I feel like I'm a grief catcher for people. And we talk about some hard things on the podcast, but we also talk about things like, how does it feel to lose yourself? 
how do I find myself again after a big change in my life or after I have stepped into motherhood? What, what does that look like? And so we cover hard stuff. We also cover things that so many of us can relate to. But what I have found is that even though the details of our lives are so different from each other, the feelings that we share are the same. And that's what makes us human. And so when someone can see and acknowledge your feelings, it opens up this world where we are able to emotionally connect with each other. And that's where we feel less alone. So truly, it feels like my honor and my privilege to hold space for these stories and talk about this. And it has added so much life to me over the course of the past month. And I'm honestly just so grateful to be able to be doing it. Oh, well, you're absolutely incredible at it. For anybody who's just being introduced to you now, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you ended up in this space, having these conversations and and having this understanding about grief personally? Yes. I'm like, okay, how far back do we want to go? <laughs> Let me start in the middle. And the middle is a couple of years ago. It was 2021 in the summer. And, you know, it was kind of the year after the pandemic where we're still trying to figure things out. And for me personally, I was really trying to figure out where I go next in life because at that point in my life, we had been trying to have children and it hadn't been happening. And we went through really hard loss the year before that where I was 16 weeks pregnant and the whole world shut down the second we moved back to Phoenix to kind of plant roots and be by our family. And I got really sick one day. And it was very unexpected because I was so healthy and everything was good. But I, all of a sudden, I just was in so much pain, but I was afraid to go to the hospital because it was literally the same week that the world was shutting down. And so I remember thinking, I'll work through this. It's okay. I'm just going to go lay down. I'm just having some severe ache and pain from pregnancy. Uh, a few hours go by and, and the pain is just unlike anything I've ever felt in my life. And midnight rolls around. And by that point, I'm I'm in my bed and I'm screaming. And my husband calls the fire department and they take me in an ambulance to the hospital. And when we get there, of course, the concern first is how's the baby? Is the baby okay? And so the first thing we did was we checked the baby and he was okay. And I remember thinking in that moment, okay, I can do whatever now is required of me because my baby's okay. So they run some tests and they tell me that I've gone septic, which at that time I didn't know what sepsis was. And so if you're unfamiliar with it, sepsis is an infection that your body has that then enters your bloodstream and it can be very deadly. A lot of people lose limbs. It causes a lot of problems. And then being pregnant on top of that, it enters this fear for the baby. I didn't realize how severe it was until my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, found out about it. And then seeing his reaction, I was like, oh, this is very serious. So they told me I needed to be admitted to the hospital for an in unknown period of time. They also told me that it was the same day that the hospitals closed off having any outside visitors come in with you. So I remember just 
waving goodbye to my husband, being wheeled back and just sobbing. I was in pain, but I also felt so lonely, like so many of us did in in that time. And because they didn't know, because of this new virus, I was so unknown. And because I was pregnant, they were very afraid of putting me anywhere in the hospital where I could possibly be exposed to anyone who's treating anyone with this unknown virus. So I'm put in triage for a couple of days. And there's one point where I hit my nurse button because I'm not breathing well. My whole body feels like it's on fire. And she comes in and she checks my vitals and she says, I need you to be prepared for a team of doctors. There's going to be 10 of us in here. They're going to be in here really quickly. I'm calling a rapid response for you. So suddenly I'm surrounded by these doctors and there's this one man named Willie and he's doing an EKG on my heart, basically a, a heart test. And I remember looking at him and I said, am I going to die right now? And in that moment, I truly, it was the first time where I felt so afraid ever in my life of losing my life. And he looked at me and he said, Ashley, you are the only person who can pull yourself through this right now. You are the only one to muster up all of this power that you need to get through this moment. We are here to support you, but this is your calling and you can do this. And I remember just thinking that I needed to find some power that I had never accessed before to get through whatever was happening. And I did because we're having this conversation today. But after that moment, I had this huge fear, just this knowing that there was no way my body could support me and support my baby. So I asked for an ultrasound and they sent me down to get an ultrasound and the ultrasound tech didn't leave the the monitor on very long, just five seconds, because both of us saw that there was no longer a beating heart. And I sobbed the whole way back up to my room, just just feeling so destroyed in every sense of the word. And I ended up delivering our baby boy by myself the next morning. I was in labor all night. I didn't know it was labor. I just knew I was in so much pain, but they told me I had more time and they I had never been in labor before. This was my first pregnancy. And, and when I delivered him the next morning, I, I just felt like the worst fear that I ever had was coming true. And I didn't know how to move forward after that. Um, you can hear in the background, maybe, <laughs> for those of you who are like, what's that noise? That is my 16-month-old. She's making noise in the background for a snack. But between that moment of losing him and then being pregnant with her, a lot of time went by, a lot of feelings of betrayal from my body, a lot of fear of feeling unsafe, of, of is life going to let me down again? How do I work through this grief? I feel lonely. I feel pissed at myself, but I can't escape. I can't escape myself. I feel, I feel guilty. What do I do? And so... The reason I brought up 2021 a year later, it was during this time where we took a break of fertility treatments because I wasn't able to get pregnant again for a little over a year after losing, his name is Jace, and we couldn't figure out why. And so we started fertility treatments and 
in summer of 2021, I just needed a break. I was losing myself. I realized that if I didn't stop and pause that whenever I was going to get pregnant again, hopefully, that I was just going to be a shell of a person by that point. And that didn't feel fair for me or for the next baby that we were going to bring into the world. So I decided that I was going to go back to school because of the experience that grief brought into my life. I knew that I could help people connect on that personal level. But then I thought, you know what, there, there's more for me to dive into here. If I can help people personally and because of my professional and educational experience, that feels like that's my path. So I went back to school. I got my master's degree in mental health and wellness with an emphasis in grief and bereavement. And that was my plan to move forward. And a month after starting this very intense <laughs> master's program, I got pregnant with my baby girl who's now here. And through all of this, it's been a huge learning of grief and joy coexisting. And how do I support myself to feel safe feeling all those feelings and being able to keep moving forward to build a future that feels good while also honoring the past? Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. When you went through this grief and this experience, um, I've often heard the phrase, 
grief touches other grief. So when you're grieving one thing or one loss, it can often bring up other losses that you've experienced in different ways, in different shapes, in different forms. What would you say are, are some of the things that supported you most going through this grief, navigating this grief, walk, walking with it, essentially? This is such a good question. And I love that you asked this because the reality is, is that we live in a grief denying society. And we are told that grief is something to be fixed. But the reality is, is that grief is something to be experienced. If grief was something to be fixed, then that would mean that you're broken. That would mean that I'm broken. That would mean that the experiences that we have are breaking us and, and we just have to fix it. But society teaches us that fixing it is that is that we need to buy this thing or lose this weight or shove it down or not talk about it. What we know about grief as a culture is that the average bereavement policy for the workplace is three days. So we are told that if you lose someone very close to you in your immediate family, you get three days to go to the funeral, to mourn, and then to get over it. So I wanted to preface that by then telling you how I have gotten, how, how I found tools to help myself move forward because we find ourselves in the situation where that is the messaging that we are expected to fix it and to move forward from it. So at first, that's what I did. At first, I, I'm telling you, from someone who was still trying to heal from going septic, I could not get out of my bed for a couple of months. I was, for my exercises, just trying to get my body some type of flowing energy moving. I was doing breath work in my bed for my exercise. Like I'm a very active person. I couldn't get up. But because the emotions were so strong, what I tried to do, my avoidance style for my grief was to work. So like you said, I had written books before this experience. During that time, I was in the middle of writing a book. And so to cope, I decided I'm going to pour everything right now into being, to making this book a best-selling book. That was not the time or space in my life where I should have been doing that, but I didn't know what else to throw myself into. And so I was running myself ragged, not only physically, but mentally, just trying to create this escape of, of creating this goal of this is a best-selling book. This is my focus. This is, this is what's going on. These emotions, these are just going to keep getting shoved down. And that's what happens when we don't acknowledge our grief is we go into avoidance. We work too much. We can turn to substances like alcohol or that this is how addictions start or whether it's shopping or bad relationships or we isolate or withdraw. We have all these things. And I was doing every single one of them until finally one day I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw this version of me staring back at me that I did not recognize and I was like, I do not know who you are. And I want to know who you are again, because I cannot keep living my life running in this way because I feel too overwhelmed to feel this pain. So the very first thing that I did is I started to acknowledge it. And I didn't know this yet at that time, but there are, are six needs of the grieving 
And the very first need that all of us universally have in our grief is to have our grief be witnessed. And that starts with us being the ones to witness our grief or acknowledge our grief so that then we can stop lying to ourselves and pretending that we're okay when we're not. And this is why a feeling of loss in the present moment can bring up so many past feelings of loss because our bodies remember those times. Our memories are ingrained in us, but when we don't deal with them in a healthy way, it can feel like it's all happening again at the same time because we have repressed it down so deeply that now it's like, oh, I have permission to come up. This feels familiar. My whole body, my whole being remembers this feeling. So that must mean that it's happening now. And that has been a continuous journey that I'm still on, but that acknowledging has allowed me to move forward in ways to find support for my grief. Mm, Beautiful. We talk about this all the time over here, the different coping mechanisms that we pick up in order to avoid feeling the difficult feelings or feeling the feelings that society has stigmatized or kept covered or that we don't talk about unless it's behind closed doors. And so, you know, really allowing ourselves to acknowledge these challenging feelings is so important. But I think I mean, I know when I was really struggling with eating disorder and I was using food as a tool to shove down difficult feelings, I was sure that if I allowed those feelings to come up, they would swallow me whole, that I would end up in bed because I felt them sometimes, you know, they they bubble up every once in a while, but that they would swallow me whole. And what I've learned over time is that in holding space for them, acknowledging them, talking about it, that it actually allows you to sort of begin to metabolize those feelings, to hold space for them safely, to that they begin to dissipate. And so I always like to talk about that because I think that it's so important for people to understand that these feelings are almost like a wave where it's going to rise and it might feel more intense, but like any emotion, even joy, happiness, love, anything that you've experienced, it changes, it passes but we've got to allow it to come to the surface. And the first step is acknowledgement. Yes. I love that wave example that you just gave because that's how grief feels like. And in those moments where you feel like this is never going to pass, that's when we need to make sure that we have those emotional support tools so we can get ourselves through that wave until we can have this respite again. And then the wave comes and and what we know about healing, a lot of times people ask me, well, how do I know I'm healing? Because things that happened a decade ago are still impacting me. And I think that so many of us want healing or we're told healing is going to be this one big moment. This one thing is going to happen. It's going to save us, whether we get the job or we have the baby or we find the relationship or someone apologizes to us that we're waiting for an apology for. But healing is not one big moment. Is consistent movement and consistent decisions so that we can move forward. And that's exactly what you just said. It's allowing ourselves to feel it and to work through it and to support ourselves. And that's what promotes healing in our lives. Earlier on, you mentioned that there are different types of grief. Like we can obviously hold space for grief when we've experienced 
the loss of a person, a grandparent, a parent, a child, a loved one of, of any form, whether that's a person or an animal or an idea. I want to talk a little bit about a type of grief that I experienced. And I actually only acknowledged it last week in a session I was having with somebody in the raw community. Um, her name's Kristen. She, her Instagram account is at the ellipsis experience. We were talking about, honestly, I, well, I feel nervous even talking about it because I'm, I guess, worried about being judged. I was talking about the grief that I felt in becoming a mom and saying, goodbye to a life that I wasn't quite ready to say goodbye to. And why that feels hard to say is because I would never give up my kids or my family. And I recognize that they're the most important thing, but also that other life, like the goals that I personally had and things like that also felt like a loss to have to put that on the back burner of it. And See, I'm even getting emotional talking about it right now. I find it interesting how much shame we carry about this. And I don't even know if you can call it grief or loss because it feels incomparable to losing a child or um, miscarriage, which I've gone through. But nonetheless, it still feels like grief, I guess. Thank you for your honesty in it. I want to point out a couple of things that you said. In the beginning, you said, I'm almost afraid of saying this because of my fear of being judged by it. When we feel grief, one of the lies that it tells us internally is that I'm the only one who feels this way. Therefore, this must be shameful. Therefore, I need to suppress this feeling so I don't feel it because I shouldn't be feeling this or I feel guilty feeling it. And also, I don't want anyone else to know about it. But the truth about grief is that grief actually connects us. And the things that we feel grief about, I can guarantee you, there are so many other people who feel grief about the same thing. And when we're able to express and vocalize our grief and allow it to exist, that's what allows connection between us and others as part of just being human. Something else that I heard you say is, well, this isn't comparable to the type of grief that other people might have. And that's another way that we avoid feeling our grief. It's another way that we tell ourselves, I'm not allow allowed to feel this, so I'm not going to. But what we know about grief is that we're never supposed to compare it with each other, right? We're all going to be going through different things in our lives and those experiences are different, but the feelings that we share are the same. And so when we can have someone validate our grief, first we get the permission and the acknowledgement, okay, I'm allowed to feel this way. Now, how do I work through it? What you just described about losing who you were before motherhood and missing her, even though you love being a mom, is so valid and so real for millions of women around the world that also, I think, is a reason why so many of us feel like, well, what is my purpose in life now? To I, I'm a mom, but I feel like I'm other things too, but am I allowed to be other things? Am I guilty for wanting to be other things? The mom guilt, the shame, the stress, 
internal stories that we tell ourselves, not just because we've made them up, but because society has also told us what our role, I'm going to put in quotations because you can't see see me right now, what our role should be. We feel guilty when we miss who we were, but that in itself is a huge sense of grief that creates a big grieving process as you're trying to reconcile now your old life with your new life and shedding parts of you that no longer are a fit for this season while trying to hang on to parts of you that you still want to keep. How are we supposed to do that, one, when no one's talking about it, two, when we're told that we should just be grateful and happy and this is our role, and what does that look like? So I'm very grateful for your vulnerability in this because the women listening to this, I know there are so many that are like, thank you, me too. And and for starters, I think we just have to acknowledge that there's this huge loss that can happen in your life when you enter this new season of motherhood that you're like, wow, I am not the same as I was. How do I make sense of this moving forward? And I can only imagine that individuals who are experiencing loss and all the emotion and all the feeling and all the change that comes with that also experience grief of their past life because you become somebody different, like you change in that moment. As we're talking about it too, I'm thinking there's so many moments where we as women, as men, whoever's listening right now may grieve a past life or a past version of ourselves, a past body that we had, a past moment of happiness or joy, a past career that you had. And it's just not talked about. Like there's just no conversation around this. So I'm so, I'm so happy that you're starting these conversations. I mean, obviously you're probably thinking, no, there are a lot of conversations about it, but we need more. We need more. I'm curious in all of your experiences and the conversations that you've had over the years, are you a religious person, spiritual? Like what are your feelings and thoughts and beliefs around what happens after somebody dies? Oh, this is such a good question that I actually don't usually talk about. And I will share a professional knowing that I know about research. And then I'm going to share with you my own my own personal, what feels good to me. What we know about research is that no matter what your religious belief is, no matter where you fall, no matter your relationship with who you believe God to be or universe, whatever that spirituality looks like, what we know is that when people have a spiritual belief or practice, those people after going through grief or during grief come out a lot more hopeful than those who do not have a belief at all. And it feels important to me to say that because something that grief did for me is it wrecked my spiritual beliefs. Everything that I thought I believed spiritually changed. And for a long time, I felt like I was trying to navigate not only grief, but loss of who I was 
and also loss of what I once believed. And when we can feel safe in a belief that helps us through our grief, what we have found is that is actually very supportive. So something that I tried to do is I tried to hold on to things that still felt good to me. After we lost Jace, I cannot deny the amount of times that I have felt his presence around me. And that is something that I don't share a lot because it feels sacred and special. But that also is something that has very much helped shape my belief and my spirituality. And specifically, you asked what comes after this life. But I think that that's one of the reasons that grief can feel so complicated is that it we don't have concrete answers as to what happens next. And so for me, having this spiritual connection with who I believe God to be and the spiritual connection with people in my life who I deeply miss, who have um, transitioned. I liked, I like using the word transitioned to the other side, still feeling connected to them um, has helped me have some really strong pillars for my grief. Mm, I love that so much. And thank you for sharing. I think it's a topic that people will talk about with close friends and family, but they tiptoe around it. I even interviewed this beautiful woman. She's 102 years old and she's a doctor of holistic medicine. And she was even talking about losing her daughter and how she felt that her daughter was still very much around and perhaps reincarnated and somebody that she knew, but she was so hesitant to share it because there are so many different beliefs and we want to honor one another's beliefs and the different stories. And the reality is we don't know, but I think it's so helpful and healing to hear different, how different people are navigating and what their spiritual beliefs are and how they stay connected and all of these things. So thank you for sharing that. Does grief still hit today now that you have this beautiful daughter running around asking for snacks in your life and you know many of the things that you were dreaming of have come to fruition what does grief look like when it arrives now how do you move through that I'm going to give you an example of something that I have been dealing with in real time (laughs) since the beginning of July so we're talking two and a half months now I have eaten a Trader Joe's ice cream sandwich. Like, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. The the one with the squishy soft cookies and it's encrusted with these chocolate chips. It's honestly making my lips, the back of my glands salivate as I think about it. But I have had one of those almost every single night since the beginning of July. But it's gotten me to the point where I feel so sick eating them, but eight o'clock hits and I'm like, I need this hit of dopamine to get me through the day. And I was talking to my sister about it because she's in her master's for counseling and she's also an intuitive eating coach. And I'm like, I I can't pinpoint this. And I'm going to preface this by saying, this is coming from a grief expert, someone who knows this, who who researches this, who, who talks to other people going through this and still... My grief for the past couple months has felt so raw in anticipation for some hard anniversaries that were coming up. In the beginning of August, I knew that we were passing the two-year anniversary of when one of my very dearest best friends died by suicide. 
And then last week we passed the what would have been the third birthday of Jace had I carried him full term. And even knowing that, I couldn't pinpoint that I wasn't crossing other boundaries in my grief that I used to do for avoidance. So instead, I just found something else, which was this freaking Trader Joe's ice cream sandwich. So to answer your question, does grief still exist? 100%. It's consistent part of my life that I always have to remind myself, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, is that grief isn't something to be fixed, but it's something to be experienced. It has changed who I am. It has changed the lens in which I see people and I see the world. There are days where I miss people I love so deeply that the most supportive thing I can do is stay in bed an hour later or maybe not go push myself at the gym or maybe cancel some meetings that I have because grief demands to be felt and I still feel it. And I have this beautiful little girl who I experience so much joy with. So there's this word that has added a lot of power to my life and it's the word and where I experience grief and joy, loss and hope. Recently, someone asked me, I was, I was talking to a man who lost his wife to cancer about seven years ago, and he still wears his wedding ring. And he, he was actually my car salesman a couple of weeks ago. And he had asked me what I do for a living. And I told him and then it opened up, oh my gosh, no one's ever let me talk about this with them. And, and he asked me, he said, how long will I grieve my wife not being here with me? And I said, you will grieve her as long as she's gone. That's the reality of grief. And it's a hard reality. And it's a sucky reality. And the reality also is, is that and exists and you can still find joy and happy moments too. What has grief given you? You know, grief has given me a lot. At first I wanted to paint this rosy picture, this this perfect tied up bow of grief has given me all these happy things, right? Because you know, even even conditioned in society, every single movie we watch, starting with Disney movies, everything's wrapped up. We have this hard thing, but then there's this heroic journey and this this hero at the end. So to be totally honest, grief has given me a few things. Grief has given me a lot of sa- sadness and very complicated feelings in my life. Grief has given me a fear of my body. I have a lot of, it's called betrayal trauma. We can grieve feeling safe in ourselves after a miscarriage or getting sick or an illness where we're like, oh, I don't trust things in internally anymore. It's given me that. And grief has also heightened my joy. I like to say because I'm a grief expert, I'm also an expert in joy. And I'm also an expert in peace because it has magnified those emotions for me. Grief has given me really deep relationships with people I love because it has rearranged my priorities. Grief has given me a sense of belonging to people who maybe I I used to feel disconnected from. And that's because with acknowledging my grief, it has allowed me to feel more connected to myself, which in turn allows me to connect with others. So it's given me a lot of things, really hard things. And some of the most beautiful things that I've ever had in my entire life. I have 1,700,000 more questions for you, but also (laughs) I want to honor your time. So the, the thing that's coming up for me now is 
grief is something that we will undoubtedly all experience as human beings. It is inevitable in one way, shape, or form if we are lucky enough to be close enough to anybody or to continue to evolve and change, which I hope for everybody listening to this podcast that you will experience in your life and therefore you will grieve as well. We will grieve. What are some of the best ways to hold space for, to connect with those who are in that stage of of grieving? How do we support? I think so many of us, especially when we see people who are close to us grieving, we're afraid that we're going to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or, or make it worse, right? Something that I love to tell people is that your person just wants you to show up for them. And so a very good way to kind of knock out any awkwardness or apprehension that you might have because you're not wanting to do the thing wrong is by simply telling them, I see that you're hurting and I acknowledge your pain. I'm so deeply sorry. And I want to let you know that I don't have all of the right things to say. I've never walked through this before and I don't want to say the wrong thing. I just want to let you know that. But what I am committed to is showing up with you. And I want to let you know that I'm here with you. You can start and enter that way. A lot of times I think too, that we have this default of, I see you're going through a hard time. How can I help you? When we are in our grief, we literally do not know what we need. So I will tell you that what everyone needs is to eat food or or to just have someone say, I'm thinking of you. So whether that looks like you sending a text to a friend that says, hey, I'm going to drop off dinner at 6 p.m. You don't even need to come to the door. I will text you when it's there or I'll knock and leave, but it's going to be out there. You can eat it tonight. You can freeze it for a different time this week, but I'm going to show up and do that. Or maybe it's you show up empty-handed and and you say, I'm outside your door to just sit with you if you want someone. And if not, I'm just going to sit outside your door for the next 15 minutes so that you know that someone's here and thinking of you and, and then I'll leave. But doing things that you initiate to show up to help give people what they need when they don't know what they need can be one of the most supportive things you could ever do for somebody. I love that so much. And I feel like I would rewind that and replay it if you have somebody who's struggling with their mental health as well. I know in times when I've been bedridden from anxiety, it's like you don't know what you need. You don't know what to ask for. But the food piece is always so helpful and such a lovely touch and and knowing that people are there. Again, I think we get afraid to talk about it or to say the wrong thing. But even just sending that heart emoji, thinking about you, love you, you never know what impact that will have on somebody's day. Ashley, where can everybody find you and find your podcast and find uh, all of your beautiful clips and shares and all of the things that you put out into the world? I would be honored for you guys to come and join our community. You can find my podcast at Healing Her wherever you listen to your podcast. On Instagram, you can find me at Ashley K. Lemieux, and that's where I'm kind of hanging out with you every day, answering questions, sharing clips of things that I hope feel supportive for you. And you can also find me on my website at ashleylemieux.com. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing a piece of your heart and your story with all of us. Sending you so much love. And to everybody who's listening right now, take what resonates, let it roll around, and leave the rest behind. 
I'll see you next week. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Rob Beauty Talks community at Rob Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.